all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation in startups. And today we are going a little bit off of that track, and we're talking to somebody who is in the investor classification, um, a well esteemed author and respected um, evangelist within wealth management, personalized investing, personalized finance, Brian Portnoy. Uh, Brian, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm super honored to have you on. Um, question, Did you were you just in Italy? I'm going to Italy next week. Okay. Where are you going to – like whereabouts? We're flying to Rome, and then we're going to the Amalfi Coast, and then we're wrapping up in Florence. Okay. Right on. Right on. Yeah. So, Brian, the reason why I wanted to talk to you uh, today is I wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of money mindset. I, I read um, – you know, the psychology of money probably last year. I read your book last year, uh, How I Invest. And both of those books really brought into fruition for me just the just the mental exhaustion it takes to to literally be able to sit on your hands, to to understand like what what money is, what my relationship with money is. So so tell me a little bit about how you even got into this money mindset um kind of mentality and like why you decided you wanted to write about it and coach about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the one word answer is accidentally. I, I don't think many people grow up wanting to write about money, money mindsets. But, um, you know, I started out in an academic career, um, focused in part on markets and economics, um, went into the investment world <clears throat> close to 25 years ago. Uh, starting my career at Morningstar, doing investment research, ultimately portfolio management, managing other people's money. And there did come a point, um, 2010, 2012, some, somewhere in that vicinity, where I grew tired. I found the investing business somewhat tiresome, at least in public markets, where to me it was pretty clear that most investors most of the time needed just a reasonably built, inexpensive basket of index funds and to just get on with their lives. And that the hard part to having you know, a successful money life, to achieving financial well-being, was not in the market, um, found in the market, but the solution is found in between our ears. <coughs> so I started to read and ultimately write in the field of behavioral finance, which is a fancy term for the psychology of money, and um, wrote one book called The Investor's Paradox, about making better investment decisions, that led to a, a much more a, a broader book, my main book called The Geometry of Wealth, which uh, tackles this idea of what I call funded contentment, uh, that true wealth is the ability to underwrite a meaningful life. 
And then that that book didn't really lead to how I invest my money, which I edited with Josh Brown. But that book brought together 25 different you know financial experts, but their personal money story. Um, and it was a fun a fun project that's landed well all over the world, which has been which has been cool. So the synopsis is that getting a good, healthy money mindset is difficult. But it's virtuous work in which people need help. And so somewhere along the way, I said, huh, maybe I can help. So wrote some books, built a business, done a bunch of stuff. So why why is like so if you were to say what's the the prime reason um, that people don't understand that um, the need I mean I guess we can go into the passive versus you know um, active investment strategy but that's pointless I mean that's, that's you pointless. know that, yeah. yeah I mean that that, 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 that investing investing is a solved problem we don't need to spend time on it right so. I, I guess what is the need behaviorally to transact? Um, I mean, let's kind of go back a bit, meaning like a few million years, and recognize that <coughs> we, as a species, our brains in particular, evolved to um, uh, survive and, and solve a whole variety of problems. None of which was money. I mean, mon- money, as we know it, was invented um, three thousand years ago. Um, our brains evolved over millions of years, and in particular, the brain that we you, we each have between our ears right now uh, is about the same as the one that existed 130,000 years ago. So um, the brain was not really wired to make great financial decisions. It really wasn't part of the adaptive environment that it was confronting. It was doing a lot of other things. And so, you know, a lot of the healthy money behaviors in terms of, you know, you already alluded to it, investing for the long run or taking a long run perspective, um, uh, you know, getting away from a just in time survival mindset. Money is hard um, because our brains didn't really evolve to, to solve these problems. And now, you know, we live in the world of never-ending financial supermarkets, um, 24-7 financial media, and, um, you know, trying to resist the the siren uh, calls of, you know, these dopamine hits that come from Money World. It, it's it's hard. Um, it, it's, it's really hard. It's, and hence, people like me do some things, you know, coach and create content. Financial advisors have a role to play in all of this. But um, it's... it's uh, it's a harder problem to solve than people are quick to uh, quick to admit, uh, in, in part because money is the topic that no one wants to talk about. Um, compared to, if you look at the American Psychological Association and the surveys they do of this, um, pick any other topic: politics, uh, you know, uh, marriage, religion. Um, money is the least comfortable topic in people's lives compared to everything else. Why is that? Well, for the reasons I just explained, um, it's just not a natural thing for us to, to to think about. It triggers some very deep anxieties and fears and, and insecurities, right? Yeah, yeah, and and insecurities. If you think of the evolutionary um, kind of process of uh, what I call the two step of survive and thrive, um, money is just at the heart of triggering concerns over survival and thriving. 
Oh, interesting. Um, And and we just don't – it's not something that really any society digs into and and talks about a lot. So we're really not equipped. We don't really have the general permission to even go there and talk about it versus religion, politics, relationships. That's sort of – you know, you, you probably know your best friend's health issues. You probably have no idea how much he makes or what his balance sheet looks like. Right. Um, so in the statement, investing has been solved, which is a strong statement. And, you know, to a large part, I, I 100% agree w- with that. Um, like investing, if that statement is true, which I think a lot of people believe it's true, um, that means in being an investor or being a trader can be boring if you want to if you want to do it professionally, right? I mean, you really just kind of park your money and you sit. Well, no, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, if you want to be a professional investor, then by definition, you've said it's not a solved problem, and that you want to use your your wits and um, you know technology to um, do better than something. I mean, pick pick your benchmark uh, or pick. You know, pick pick your goal. So, being a trader by definition is is a you know a profession that you choose, and you know that can be wildly l- lucrative um, and certainly exciting. Um, you know, a, a lot of you know wealth that money managers have is not because they've done a particularly good job; it's because they charge others high fees to do whatever it is that they're they're doing. Um, from a very different point of view, just if I think about my friends and neighbors, when I say investing is a solved problem, and you know I've got friends around in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and you know let's keep things very simple and talk about retirement. If you're building um, your retirement nest egg, uh, do you want to be trying to pick good stocks and and um, uh, you know get involved with a bunch of esoteric investments or? Do you want just to buy a, you know, a sixty forty or an eighty twenty or a fifty fifty portfolio of stocks and bonds that kind of map to your time horizon and your risk tolerance, uh, and then get on with your life? I, I think the answer in ninety nine percent of cases is is yes, but but very very different if you want to do this professionally. And so you created a business called Shaping Wealth, which is your current um, mm-hmm. your current. Uh, baby, your current entrepreneurial effort. So, yep. in which you target wealth managers and and teach them in a way uh, about certain aspects and soft skills within the job. So, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, yeah. So, shaping wealth is my baby. Um, I, I mean, I, <coughs> excuse me. I briefly mentioned you know this book I published in 2018 called The Geometry of Wealth. And it did anchor on this idea of funded contentment, and the book was very well received. It sold well all over the world, and I had tapped into something. Um, and so, this idea of wealth as a mindset versus rich as a number—that um, that distinction has captivated me. It's captivated others, and in particular, you know, across various jobs over the last decade or so, working with financial advisors, knowing financial advisors. That business has changed a lot from being, you know, kind of a brokerage-oriented. Hey, I'm going to sell stocks and bonds to to customers. Not bad. Just it was what it was. Over the course of a generation, that industry has evolved into more into not only financial planning, 
in the narrow sense, but holistic financial planning where you're really helping someone figure out, you know, sort of not only making great money decisions, but where money fits into a, a, a life well lived. Um, this is a big pivot in the industry globally because we have clients uh, on every continent except Antarctica. And um, so you see an increasing interest in behavioral advice, human-centric advice, comprehensive financial planning. There's lots of different ways to talk about it. I saw an opportunity, and there is an opportunity, to coach the coaches, to train the trainers, to work with advisors, to help them understand kind of the psychology of money uh, through the lens of different disciplines like behavioral finance, emotional intelligence, and, and positive psychology. And so what does that look like um, from a delivery perspective? And like, how would the clients, their clients, your clients' clients benefit from, from that? And like, what kind of transition would, would it happen? Yeah. So our clients are financial advisors and what they purchase from us are um, uh, basically coaching programs um, uh, or, or different forms of content. So, you know, um, you know, we make a big distinction in the advice business sort of metaphor that, you know, advisors play two roles in helping people along life's journey as both mechanic and guide. And on the mechanical piece, like how to pick stocks or build portfolios, how to set up estates properly, how to optimize for taxes, those are all mostly engineering problems. And there's tons and tons of training in that. Um, uh, on the guidance part, it's just not a matter of high ethics and um, common sense that you can be a good financial guide for people. There's a lot of skills. So, uh, you know, as my partner, you know, uh, Joy, Dr. Joy Leary's PhD in psychology, she likes to say that the soft skills are the hard skills. And, you know, so we teach those soft skills in a way where client, uh, our clients, financial advisors, uh, can uh, better have better conversations with their clients, the end client, to talk about the things that people really want to talk about. And what they don't want to talk about is the Dow Jones uh, industrial average or what's the earnings estimate for the S&P 500 going to be or some other macroeconomic silliness that no one really knows what's going to go on anyway. But a lot of modern financial advice is just theater where the advisor pretends like she knows like where the economy's going and the client pretends like she cares. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, what the advise, what the client wants to know is, am I going to be okay? And, and how much is enough? Am I going to be able to take care of my loved ones? How am I going to deal with life's many different challenges, both financial and non-financial? Um, the advice business just over the last half generation has moved in that direction. And we're seeing significant demand from massive companies with thousands of advisors and small-scale RIAs and everything in between on, hey, how do I have those better conversations? How do I understand the psychology of financial planning as opposed to the technical elements of financial planning? I'll wrap this comment with one data point, which is that you know, in the uh, CFP curriculum, in the Certified Financial Planner curriculum, um, it was way back in 2022, if you could remember that year, Dave, David, um, that the CFP board included the psychology of financial planning in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Up until then, uh, behavioral finance, psychology of planning, there was smatterings of it, but it wasn't a distinct curriculum. 
um, pretty quickly, the psychology of planning is becoming front and center, and and we have a training platform that um, that helps. You know, it's I find that there's like a dissonance between you know, the wealth manager's job, which you really did a great job articulating, which is, you know, being empathetic, you know, understanding (laughs) their client situation, designing a portfolio to make sure that they are okay versus what the client expects, which is, um, you're here to make me money. Right. So how, how do you, how does a, how would a, a wealth manager reconcile those two differences? Meaning that saying like, Hey, the market's the market. Right. And, my job is to protect you from and un, you know understand your risk and design a portfolio for you and to you know make sure that you're okay mm-hmm. versus you know hey you know the market's up you're I've got a great advisor versus the market's down my guy sucks yeah I don't even know why an advisor would be talking about the market a good advisor I mean um, I, so I, I kind of don't accept the premise of the question which is that the client is there to quote unquote make money I don't I don't mm-hmm. know what that really means. Um, so if the, if if the clients showing up because they just want to make more money, so they're hiring the financial advisor as a basically as a gunslinging stock picker. Like, great, I would say, good luck. Um, you know, ninety plus percent of mutual fund managers can't beat the market. I can't imagine why a financial advisor would be any better than a than a fund manager at well, doing I don't that. Think they, I don't think they can. I think that's the perception. Do you feel like consumers are coming into these relationships expecting like someone to you know kind of have more of these soft skills? Well, yes, I think uh, fin- I think someone seeks out financial planning advice because they want to build and and pursue and and achieve their you know goals in life, which would include, hey, I want to buy a house, I want to pay for my kids' college, um, I want to help out my aging parents, I want to save for retirement. I mean, I think people go to planners for planning. Um, that's a that that's not beating the market. That's not making that. Yes, there are investment decisions as well as insurance decisions, as well as things related to saving, spending, charitable giving, and so forth. Um, but that um, uh, you know, so advise. I'm sorry, clients are not showing up to get therapy, although. Uh, if you ask any financial advisor, um, 100% of them would say at some point in in their uh, job, and most would say probably not a week goes by where they don't feel like they are their, uh, a therapist for their client um, because money is such an emotional issue. It triggers fear, greed, joy, hope, anger, envy, you know, all the big emotions. So the advisor is already in that position. The client is not showing up for that. But it's unavoidable that those emotional currencies are part of the conversation in the context of um, you know planning for all of you know life's events from from a financial point of view. So um, do do I think uh, clients are showing up so that their financial advisors can pick great investments so that they can beat the market? Uh, increasingly, no. I, I don't think that's what they're doing. Got it. Okay. Um, where do you think there's opportunity aside from kind of the soft skills within, within wealth management? That's a, that's a pretty hard thing to scale. Um, do you feel like this business has scale potential or is this something that is needs to be belly to belly? 
Um, because I know there's just a lot of a lot of what have yous with this business in terms of regulation, compliance. You know that that comes up a lot of a lot of work and time. Is there is there ways to make this a better experience for the end consumer? Um, well, making it a better experience and scaling it are kind of you know, and it's I think implicit in your question, and and, and I agree with where you're going. It it can be hard to scale. Um, I mean, there are especially in more of a wirehouse and some broker dealer context, you can have an advisor who has hundreds of clients. Um, there's absolutely no way that they can provide kind of high-touch experience uh, um, service to hundreds of clients. So um, I think what a lot of firms are figuring out, I mean, there's tens of thousands of wealth management firms around the world um, trying to figure out how to provide more white-glove, high-touch experience um, that tap into human skills. We can call them soft, but they're just human skills. Um um, and at the same time, you know, run, uh, you know, run a scalable, profitable business. I mean, the fact is like major players are solving for this. I mean, the industry is doing extremely well. Um, firms are growing, they're hiring a lot of new advisors. Um, they're offering, um, you know, in, uh, a broadened set of services. Part of what I'm solving for, or my team is, and I are solving for is you know squaring the circle of how how do you how do you give this how, how do you give the the service that people actually want um which is to be seen and heard and helped along multiple you know milestones and checkpoints to making better decisions and achieving good financial outcomes and being able to do that at scale um there are f- lots of firms solving for that um uh, how much technology is going to figure into this? I mean, or, I mean, such a generic thing. Technology already is serving for it, but AI in particular, generative AI, using ChatGPT or you know, any of those any of those portals, huge topic that uh, speaks to the scale issue. But I don't know. Rambling a little bit, uh, s- delivering the advice, the type of advice that people want, and figuring out scale is one of the bigger, harder business challenges that's going on right now. What are you excited about within the industry? Uh, what we're doing. I mean, I'm, I think that we've building um, the leading edge platform for human centric financial advice. I think we're creating amazing original content. Um, and you know, in the background, we are experimenting with different uh, technologies um, to uh, deliver what we're doing in a way that we can, you know, engage in mass customization. Meaning that we can use AI. Uh, we're prototyping some things, and who knows how long it will take. But you know, we, we are creating a large volume of super high quality um, content and coaching experiences. And, you know, as a business owner, how can I not um, relax on the quality front while serving a bigger and bigger client base without at the same time having to hire a ton of people? You know, Mm -hmm. you you know business better than I do. So, you know, that that's a pretty generic business problem. Uh, I'm I'm trying to figure that out as we speak. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, a media company is, you know, such a different type of animal. I'm sure that the learnings are, are, um, are hard and expensive, <laughs> right? You quit yeah, time yeah, I mean, editing. I mean, it's, it's a big thing, right? Right, right, right. You know, we're, you know, we're in the field of financial advice. We're doing all this behavioral stuff, neuroscience. It's fascinating. At the end of the day, we're a learning platform. We're an education company and, mm-hmm. um, figuring out how to deliver great stuff at scale like that's that's what companies like I try to do yeah and it's hard but that's that's the moat right is that if you have the a++ content you know people aren't going to commoditize it and you're not going to see it on YouTube and you know it's going to people are going to pay for it top dollar i hope so i hope so um you know um advisors advice firms heads of heads of advisor development for platforms that have hundreds or thousands of advisors um they want training solutions that where advisors feel <coughs> like they're getting great, you know, experts like my team teaching them things, um, and that not everybody on the block is getting the same stuff. Uh, and so, I need to figure out better and better ways of um, of of delivering that. I mean, my team and I have been together for I'll call it two and a half years now at ball, ball, ballpark. Uh, so it's relatively early days. Um, we've been able to deliver some really good experiences that get wonderful, wonderful reviews. Uh, we have not cracked the nut on how to scale this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's when you do, you should write. That should be your next book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay, <laughs> stay tuned. You want to book? You want to book me for uh, some point in twenty twenty four? We could check in. You can like you, you exactly. could be like the judge in the Olympics. Yeah. And, How do you like, scale a up? content business? Yeah. <laughs> um. So if we were to you know just give give the audience a little crack, right? A little a little a little bit of fairy dust on 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 your magic and, and your process. What are like? What are the questions that? advisors should be asking their clients that are, you know, that, that are really like driving to the whole of the issue. Like how should, and you know, this is really for the listener Mm -hmm. in their own relationship with money. What are some of the, the, the exercises and or questions or self-reflections that they can do to, to get closer to the truth of, of their relationship and their, their own behavior around money? Yeah. Um, you know, to maybe just cut to the chase, in the way that, you know, to broad, broad thing, um, you know, and to channel Simon Sinek, you know, we, we start with why, um, a lot of, I mean, first of all, financial planning wasn't even a thing until 15, 20 years ago. It wasn't something at scale now, now it is, but you know, we have something called goals-based wealth management. That's like, Oh, okay. You want to retire at age 63 with $3 million portfolio and at a 4% withdrawal rate that, you know, math, 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 you know, it is what it is. But, um, you know, that is starting with the what, and then getting into the how. And our view is that what precedes all of that is an important and not one time, but ongoing conversation about what's truly meaningful to you. So, you know, we think about starting with who, uh, starting with why, and, and starting with who, meaning, um, like, you know, we all have multiple identities. You know, I'm, I'm a worker, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you know, there, I, I have dozens of, of, of different identities. So um, if we're going to cut to the chase on kind of just usable tactics, you know, we have a model uh, called the four C's, the, the four sources of contentment. 
um, that, you know, create a framework and a series of questions as to, well, what's truly meaningful to you? And then how do we build a financial plan um, to uh, so that you can live uh, so you, you can live your values, you can um, you can find contentment. Those four C's are connection, control, context, and uh, competence. Um, just in a line, connection is our sense of belonging. It's a deep evolutionary thing. We are tribal in, in our genetic orientation. Uh, control is basically that sense of autonomy, independence, freedom that we all cherish. Uh, competence is basically being good at something that is important to you. could be your job, your vocation, your hobby. And then context is um, a broader sense of being connected to something that's important to you. Um, could be faith, could be place, you know, patriotism, hometown pride, could be a number of different things. But those four C's capture, you know, millennia of wisdom received from not just science, but theology and philosophy and history and literature. And that's a mental model that we use in our training with hundreds of financial advisors in order to, uh, you know, sort of frame better questions about what's truly meaningful to people. Awesome. Um, what book are you reading right now? Huh. Um, uh, well, I like Scandinavian murder mysteries, um, so I'm reading <laughs> one. <laughs> Nordic- I, li- I like, you know, I really like, you know, um, Vietnamese, you know, cannibal stories, but you know, myself. <laughs> dude, dude, there's there's an entire genre called Nordic noir. okay i love it yeah so that is one book that i'm reading um uh, a book that i'm reading is called the sandman uh last uh, author uh kepler uh is is, so anyway that that's on the fun front um also um uh also fun but uh non-fiction i'm actually because we're going to uh italy next week i'm reading a history of ancient rome called spqr Mm. Um, so that I can be even more annoying to my kids as we walk around <laughs> and, right. and, and roll out like random facts that I learned like three days prior where the kids right. are like, come on, dad, just stop. We, we don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> we have a guide. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we do. Yeah, we do. We do have a guide. Um, but, um, so yeah, a little bit of history, a little bit of murder mystery, uh, you know, try to balance the, uh, fiction and the nonfiction. What's the, what's the, um, I guess besides anything that you've written, what's the one book that you've gifted the most? Uh, there's two. Um, one is a, a Buddhist uh, tract called You Are Here uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, I, you know, for those who are into that, they know that Thich Nhat Hanh, who passed away just in the last year or, or so, he was sort of like the, you know, if the Dalai Lama is um, uh, Michael Jordan, Thich Nhat Hanh is like Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he has uh, I don't know how many dozens of, of of books and the final chapter in the geometry of wealth chapter ten about how much is enough in life uh, is called you are here it's about presence and 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 purpose and so I have a stack of uh, that uh, book um, I don't have it right in eyeshot but uh, it's right around here I have a stack of those that I give out frequently called you are here and then another book the book that really got me going on all things behavioral science. Was called the art of is called the art of choosing, by Sheena Iyengar. Um, it's just a be- it's scientific, but it's also just a beautiful meditation on how choice and control 
and freedom, uh, def, you know, go to uh, defining who who we are and 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 what we want. And a lot of her work has ended up in the frameworks that we deliver to financial advisors. So tell me about your your real quick because I don't want to take up that much of your time. I know it's valuable, but like, tell me about your writing process. Like, how you know is that been involved have you always been enjoyed writing has that been something difficult or easy for you um well it's it's difficult in the most enjoyable of of ways like Mm -hmm. it's um (coughs) finding flow through the writing process is about as enjoyable as things get for me you know in the quote-unquote work front um you know i've I think I've just gotten lucky, be you know, having always been curious. Um, you know, I just think the world's a big and fascinating place. So I've been kind of reading history and literature and philosophy since I was young, and so the writing process begins with reading. Um, if you're not reading, you're not writing. Uh, you know, how mm. are other people? thinking about things that you care about how are you discovering new avenues and cul-de-sacs and and just uncovering kind of all of the fascinating elements of 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 this weird life of ours and so the writing process begins with reading and then when you can't stop thinking about a particular topic um no matter what um it just you kind of know you're onto something and you've just, you just feel compelled to start writing. Um, I can't force myself to go down that path. It just has to like become almost like a burden. Mm. So like, you know, the investor's paradox, my first book, which was published in 2014, I probably started thinking, I mean, I, I probably started scribbling on that in 2009, 2010 coming out of the, you know, big finance, global financial crisis and I just kind of couldn't, you know, it's like that scene from um, Forrest Gump when, you know, he just started running. He had right. a lot in his mind. And next thing you know, he's run back and forth across America. That, that to me, encapsulates, like, you, you just can't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, like, the narrower constraints of actually writing a book, um, I have a bunch of things that I do to keep myself organized and, and structured um, and, um, I, I enjoy the completely loose blank page element to it. Um, that just puts my heart on fire. It's the best, but then at the same time being a little bit of a control freak, I, I love having a super rigorous process where I am banging out a certain number of pages each day, working with the publisher and making sure everything gets done just right. Nice. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. This was Brian Portnoy, author of several great titles. Uh, You can find him on Amazon and LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you want to dive deeper into your own psyche around money and funded contentment, um, he's your guy. So if you like what you heard, please like it, subscribe, leave a comment, and we will see everybody next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.